Good morning, everybody. We'll go ahead and get started this morning. I'll send you uh, greetings from Pastor Stephen Kurt. They are, I believe, in Houston. Uh, conference they've been this is kind of a progressive thing they're doing uh tim asked me well what what is it oh, it's a preacher conference <laughs> i don't know but they're there and they'll be back i think uh the, this evening later in, in the morning so so you're stuck with me this morning but maybe that'll be okay before we get going Gary, I'll have you come up and visit about our hospitality team, specifically ushers. He's going to just give us some information for a second. I just want to remind you, if you weren't here Sunday, we started recruitment for the various service teams, the fellowship teams, uh, lights, tech, usher, first impressions, gatekeepers, alternate altar flower delivery. Gatekeepers had a good meeting, training meeting on Saturday. The ushers, uh, I didn't realize how, how low the usher participation was on Sundays at 11 o'clock until I sat in for the 11 o'clock service. So if you are interested and willing to participate on a Sunday, it's only once in about every six months for most of the teams. The gatekeepers uh, teams rotate around about once every five weeks or so. Uh, you get a nice pretty red shirt, kind of like what Richard's wearing if you're on a gate out in the ushers team. Except it says prison guard, yeah. And uh, they work out in the front. The ushers obviously work the front door going into the church, into the uh, sanctuary itself, and then do the collection, assist with communion. That's probably, Kurt, I saw you come in somewhere. That's that's probably one of the least impact if you really want to just get started with something because you only work that one service. And then uh, it's a month long for those teams. But you only have to do the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock at one of the three services. So if you're interested, you can go to the website, go to the church website, and then click on Fellowship Teens or Ministries, and it'll take you to a login screen that looks much like this. And you just put in name, address, phone number, email, and check which area you want to participate or talk about. Uh, have someone talk to you about, and then one of us will contact you. I'm going to be heading up the usher teams uh, starting the first part of February, and with pretty good established leadership in all the other areas already. So please, if you have a chance, think about it. Uh, I've brought some just general descriptions. Most of these are also on the website, as is this form. But if while you're here this morning... Uh, you, you can do it electronically. You can do it from your phone with one of the QRC scan sheets that's up here at the table. Or I'll give you a written form. You can fill it in, and Melissa or one of us will fill the form in and get you entered in that. So if you're interested, just check with me before you go, and I'll get you in the right place and get you started. Does the usher uh, need more at the 11 o'clock service or both? Yes, well, at 9 o'clock, there's a large enough students at 9 o'clock that even if you're short one or two, you can look around and grab somebody and pull up the help at 11 o'clock. This last Sunday was Ken and 
Carry.
as we get going, this is, of course, this is always, uh, the first class I took in seminary was on the Gospel of Mark. So, uh, Dr. Donjel had us, the first day of class said, go, go back home, your room, wherever, and read this whole Gospel through three times out loud. So, all of us who had that class, as you went to the dorms, you heard through that night the Gospel of Mark just being ver- <laughs> So, but this is, this is, you know, you read the commentary on this and it's interesting that he, he sandwiches this piece in between everything else. Just kind of like, almost like, by the way, you know, um, even though Mark, of course, is writing this after the fact. So, we read about Herod Antipas, uh, what just happened before? Well, Pastor Kurt left us off last week. What what would what had just happened? Just going to verses twelve and thirteen because he Mark tells us here in fourteen that that Herod heard of it. What is the it? Well, what had what had Jesus just sent the disciples to go out and do? Go out and don't take anything with you, right? Uh, don't take extra clothing. Don't take extra money, as it were. And do what? Preach, preach the good news, right? Yeah. And so, of course, Kurt took us through that last week. But as we look at just 12 and 13, they went out telling everyone they met to, re- to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. So it's not just Jesus, it's the disciples. And this is a really, you know, small region. So, of course, Herod has heard about this, right? Uh, it's a pretty big deal when you have a group of people going out and you're healing people and you're releasing people from demonic oppression. That tends to, to uh, capture the attention of, of the officials. Um, so in verse 14, Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he's the prophet Elijah. To others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. So there's all this buzz, right? There's all this talk. He's got to be, you know, what is this about? Um, but when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, this is, this is John, the man I beheaded. He has come back from the dead. And the question I ask myself is, how do you, how do you think, where do you think Herod gets that from? And there, I don't know if there's a really correct answer. I'm just, again, this is kind of discussion and what do y'all, what do y'all, what do y'all think? Where do you think Herod gets, where do you think Herod gets this? Like, why? This is John raised from the dead. Herod is not a truly a Jewish man. He's a, he's a Gentile pagan. Uh, uh, he's a bottom dweller. I mean, he's a, he's a bad dude. But where does he get this truth at? Or where does he get this belief at? It's not truth. From himself. From himself? Good. Just something he came up with? Did John say something before he died? There's going to be a life in the last yeah, I mean, we do, we find out here in a minute that, that he had had conversation with John, right? Yeah. He's a guilty conscience. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I may have felt guilty for, for killing John. And we, of course, we find out more about those details here in just a second, right? And then we have in verse 17, for, or because, so we find out, you know, some explanation for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. 
she had been his brother Philip's wife. But Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. I'm going to stop right there. Um, You read about this, about Herod's family. You read about his relations with his siblings and their kids. It's a, it's just a, it's a mess. I mean, it's just so twisted and dark. Um, it's, it's just gross. I mean, you know, there's, there's all kinds of improper relationships. But the thing I, I, I fixate on here is, you know, what had John been doing? What, what was, what got him in trouble? What? Well, but, but directly specifically, yeah, he, he, in a sense, he kind of was, but I mean, he, he confronted a public official, right? I mean, he, it's not lawful for you to have her. And so even though Herod was not a, bound by the Jewish law per se, he wasn't a Jewish person, he still applied the, the kind of the overarching moral law of God, right, to this public official. Um, uh, I'm not sure about in our country. What happens in other countries if you uh, challenge the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Thomas did up, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't go well for you. Um, but I think that speaks to John's character. I'm thinking of the end of the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, Jesus tells them, Blessed are you when you're persecuted, even for righteousness' sake. That even when you stand for righteousness, holiness, purity, morality, you know, all those good things, and you're persecuted, blessed are you. And then he'll go on to tell them, when you're persecuted for me, you know, you're, you're blessed. But it, it, has anyone ever been in that position of confronting somebody in power? Yeah. I mean, I, I have, and I paid the price for it too. So that's a different story, but yeah, it was not fun. It was a really hard situation, So, especially when you're on the school board. <laughs> so, um, okay. So he had been telling... John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife, Herodias. It says here she held a grudge against John. Hell hath no fury like what? A woman's scorn. Yeah. So you can think about that. We can think about this. I've been thinking about this for several days, and over the years I've thought about this. She she was really ticked, right? Other than just a, what was that marriage about for her? You think, and what did that what did that threaten? Power, yeah, prestige, yeah. I mean, this is not just a slight breaking of a, a legal union or something. I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, her power is completely threatened, and she couldn't do anything about it until an opportune time, which she's you know going to have or at this point has had and he's you know of course referring back to it in the past but i was looking at that that word for grudge um an echo it means to hold in or can be it can mean to be ensnared 
And even though this is really not the thrust of the passage, I try to be real careful here um, on our more interpreting scripture. There's there's still an application here for our own lives. What what happens when we hold grudges? It eats you up. That's right. And and if it's if it's not in check, or we don't release it, or we don't ask God to to help us to to for, to forgive, to release that, what what can happen to us? We eat up. What what's that? How, what's that look like? Yeah, I mean, and then we start making bad decisions. Um, hopefully, we're not going to ask for someone's head on a platter, as we're going to find out. But we can do some pretty dark and bad things right i mean it's it just eats some and some people may not do anything but it may take the form of a severe heart attack stroke um just an unpleasant unhappy person so i think it's a good uh, lesson for us to keep ourselves in check about do we hold grudges against people and if we are lord help us to to release those grudges and to forgive people no matter what, because almost all of us in here have had something um, that we struggle with in that regard. So, any questions, comments before we go on? Okay. So she bore a grudge, wanted to kill him. Verse 19. But without the approval of Herod, she was powerless. For Herod respected... Now, there's interesting too. Herod respected John. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Now, I'm reading from uh, New Living in this Bible. I do have the ESV pulled up in front of me because that is definitely my my translation of choice. But I do love the New Living because it does make it a little easier to understand. And sometimes I need I, I need it easier to understand. Uh it's interesting again how Herod, they must have had multiple conversations because he, he knows things about John. I mean, he knows he's, I mean, Herod is twisted. Kind of, uh, you know, it's too bad Kurt's not here. Obi-Wan Kenobi's description of Darth Vader, you know, twisted and evil. Um, that's what I think about. But he has enough light, enough truth uh, in him to know that John was a good and holy man, and he actually protects him. Um, he was greatly disturbed whenever he talked to John, but even so, the very end of verse 20, but even so, he he liked to listen to him. What do some of y'all's translations say at the end of 20? Enjoy. He enjoyed listening, so, yep. Anything else? That's good. Okay. Greatly puzzled. Yeah, you like to listen to him. Yeah, good. Thank you. So there's this this fascination, and we know from the other gospel accounts that Herod had been, you know, later on had been wanting to to Jesus to do what for him? Miracle, some sensationalism, right? I want you to to dance in a way. Yeah, what's that, Gary? Raise someone, from Raise someone from the dead. Yeah, I mean, he he wants to put on a show, right? I don't even. I think so, but I, 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 yeah. See, I can't even tell you that, but Gary's saying yeah, So, Herod was a very curious and long 
bring people in in his accounts where he would bring John in and want John to do the same kind of things that he asked Jesus to do. Show me your miracles. Show me how you can do these things. So. Yeah, because it's about two years away. Then they'll have that conversation later. So yeah, that make that makes sense. But but he's he's really fascinated with uh, with 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 John. At this point, it's about John and not Jesus. But he's he just he he actually tries to protect John. But alas, and to no avail. Uh, verse twenty one. Herodias chance finally came. On Herod's birthday, he gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. So it's a big party, you know, high fluting, just all the all the all the upper crust is there. Then his daughter also I'm sorry, then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. That must have been some dance, right? I did, did dig into the Greek, and it, it's not like it's a... Unless I've missed the boat, I don't think I have, looking at that, but it it's not like it's some... There's no connotation of it being a sexual-type dance or, you know, pole dance. I mean, it, it but it is something that does... Arouse them, you know, and and of course it's mostly mostly men in this this gathering. Very very few very few women. It's mostly going to be men, right? So it's it's enough of something to you know to to greatly move him. Um, and so he he makes her a promise. He's greatly pleased. And at the end of verse. 22, ask me for anything you like. And his, uh, and the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, verse 23, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. Well, that's, that's an expression. That's a figure of speech, you know, used generally the time just means what means I'm going to give you, uh, you know, great reward. A lot of, a lot, a lot of things, a lot of stuff. What do you, what do you want, kid, for doing this great dance? Now, call her kid, but if she's in the 12 to 14 year old range, she's, she's marrying age. So she's considered Practically a woman, um, but what do, you, what do you what do you want? Um, and of course, we find out she asks her her mom. We know what do I ask for? <laughs> I want uh, yeah, John. You know, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Thank you. Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he had no kingdom. He had some power and some wealth, but no kingdom. Yeah, thank you for that, Brent. It's good. And yeah, because he really wasn't a king. Actually, he was just a. He's a yeah. He's a higher up, but he did have, of course, the influence and power. So, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Verse twenty-six. And the king deeply regretted what he had said. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. Y'all, do y'all really think that's what that was about? Just because he made these vows in front of other people? Or is there some other dynamic at work? 
And the reason I bring that up is because when you read commentary about this, there's there's these varying opinions. It's not really about that. So I just wanted to see if y'all had any other thoughts. I mean, not on the spot here this morning, but over the years, as you've listened to this passage and studied it yourself, anything else come to your come to your heads? What's that? She wants to take charge. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah. That's a way for her to take charge and power. Yeah, it's a good point, Richard. Well, if he, if he, if he threw out this, this huge potential gift to her, it may have been a way of, of, of bragging that he had the ability to do whatever he wanted in front of this big group of, of other leaders. And then to throw out, I have this ability, and then to not do it would, would lower himself. Yeah. It's a good thought, too. It's a good point, Tom. Yeah. It's just, again, you wish you had more information, right? I'd love to to explore. It's Even though he's a dark person, still, there's just all these dynamics at work. There's the power of politics, and um, it's just... Not much, as, as the preacher says in the in, uh, Ecclesiastes, nothing new under the sun, right? <laughs> it's, it's the same today as it was yesterday. So a lot of, lot of stuff in politics. But to me, this is what this is all about. <clears throat> but I have to say, I've never thought about Herodias wanting to also grab power. But that's, and again, she was threatened. So again, Richard, that's a good point as well. That's, yeah, I never thought about that. What's that? Be careful, man. Be careful. I'd be here. Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, well, so he regretted it. He immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. Uh, Another note I wrote down here, though, is be careful... Be careful what we promise and vow, right? Um, and, I, and Jesus does warn us of this. What does he say about promises? Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? And anything more than this is evil. So I think there are appropriate times, marriage vows, and that's always with the the inclusion of, you know, by God's grace and this kind of thing that you know you make this vow with your to your to your wife to your spouse, um, but beyond that, you need to be very careful. What what is is there one Old Testament story when you think about sometimes the insanity of keeping you know the the old biblical vows? Is there an Old Testament story that pops in your mind? There's one that pops into my mind. It, it pops into it every time. Y'all remember the story of Jephthah and Judges? Okay. So we're recording this. Kurt can listen. If I'm wrong, he can he can correct me on this. But he makes his vow. Basically, Lord, give me success over my enemies. He makes this rash vow. And it's so stupid. <laughs> the first thing, person that comes out of my my home, my land, I'll strike him down. Y'all remember that? The story of Jephthah? It was his daughter. He had victory. He comes home. Who runs out to greet daddy? His daughter does. I've kept my vow before God. What do I got to do? 
I got to kill her. And he does. It's so pathetic and it's so tragic. And you're like, idiot. So, you know, again, be careful what you vow. Be careful what we vow. You know, it's, and I, again, I was very loose to that story. You can look it up, but that's pretty spot on. I've read it multiple times over the years. And again, Kurt might have some other extra Hebrew, you know, history that we, I could be missing there, but it's just such a tragic story. Um, you think, go back to King, you know, we studied the life of David the last couple of years. Go back to crazy Saul. Uh, he had vowed, anyone that eats during this time, I'm going to kill. Well, what does Jonathan and his group do? They eat some honey, right? Because they were hungry. <laughs> what did you do that for, you son? Well, don't be an idiot, Dad. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. All these, all these vows they make, and and you don't hear the Lord telling them to do this. They just make these these rash, impulsive, and and probably desperate vows, right? So, anyways, be careful when we make our vows. So the soldier did behead him. Brings him back, his head on a tray, gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. John's disciples heard what had happened. They came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. Any thoughts about that? Again, it's just like it's sandwiched in between what's happening in Mark 6. We just have this kind of blip, this kind of sidebar in a sense. Other questions or comments about that? Just a bizarre scene. You know, he... You know, this beheading, and they come and get the body and take them. Yeah, that's another good point, Richard. Yeah. This is what happens when you, you mess the bull, you get the what? <laughs> you get the, the orange, yeah. Um, but it, it, it goes back to that grudge and even revenge. You know, revenge is a, a meal served best what? Cold. I mean, it's, yeah, so it's it's a revenge and, and, and there's some power, power play there too. What do you all think John's disciples did after that point? They, they buried John. What do you think they do? They go over to Jesus? Yeah, probably so. Good part of them did. Maybe all of them. Yeah. Because ultimately, I mean, why was John in prison? He confronts a public official. You should, you know, this is wrong for you to do this. He's in prison. He's beheaded. He's dead. What's Jesus going to do? Um, is in John 9 after the, after Jesus restores the blind man, the blind man's sight, they go back. Jesus hears of Lazarus' death. They go back and they're all like, Lord, we can't go back there. They want to kill you last time. And I think it was, was it Philip? He said, let's, let's go die with them. I mean, <laughs> they know trouble is waiting in Jerusalem, right? Um, so they, they know there's, there's trouble in the wake. But yeah, they, they, most of them probably go on over and start following Jesus. Verse 30, we'll now keep on going. 
This is the, the feeding of the 5,000. Apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. Again, this is New, New Living Translation. Uh, and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because they were, there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And I, I had to stop right there because again, it's a, it's another point of application for us. Jesus would go off by himself to do these two things, probably intertwined but separate. He would go off to do, to pray, but also to do what? To, well, eat and to rest. Just to, actually, if you look at the Greek here, it's, it, there's a, a time of just, of, of having fun, of just kind of hanging out, you know, just idle time, downtime. And again, the question for us is, is that the application, do we have enough of that? Um, do we do we have solitude? Do we have a time of rest? Do we do that on Sundays? If not on Sundays, is there another time we get to do that? No, because I've got to do, you know, A, B, C, D. I've got, always got things i got to do. I've got to keep on going. i got to keep on going. Um, never a time to rest. But they have these times... Um, and then, of course, Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen here. You're going to have not 5,000, but probably 15 to 20,000 come up for this, this meal they're going to have, right? He's going to be teaching them. Um, so they, verse 32, they left by a boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. So there again, there's that alone time. <clears throat> but many people recognized them and saw them leaving and... People from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw a huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. What do y'all think he was teaching them? This God's message, yeah. We have some of those words in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Probably what this is. I don't know for sure, but if it's not that, it's another set of teaching. Would love, wish Mark would have put that in there for us. If it was something different, uh, I don't know. Um, but just again, he had compassion on them. No leadership, no shepherd. So he, he teaches them and, and for a long time. Late in the afternoon, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages to buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. As Kurt reminds us, it's just like a, the rabbi test, right? Test of the students. You feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? Verse 38. He asked, go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. 
They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up the twelve baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So by accounts, there were probably somewhere between fifteen and 20,000, because Mark's not counting their, you know, the men's wives and children. Have you all sat and just pondered and tried to take some time alone and just think about what this scene looked like? I mean, he gathered, he put them in groups of, groups of 50, groups of 100 even. Uh, I, you know, Sunday in the nine o'clock service, there were, was that count 240, I think? 222. I happen to know the guy that did. Okay. There you have in the horse's mouth right there, 222. I thought I saw 240 somewhere. No, yeah. Oh, you mean Kurt? You didn't just do all that in your head and not worry about a calculator. (laughs) But you think about two hundred people, two twenty-two. So groups of fifty to hundred. That's a sizable amount of people, right? And they're scattered, scattered, totaling between you know fifteen thousand, seventeen thousand people. What does that look like? And it's not. Again, you know, Israel about the size of the our coast in Texas. It's not like it's this huge area. I mean, they're probably packed in there. Well, and this is in the same area of uh, Sea of Galilee that we've been talking about, correct? Mm, yes, sir. The yeah. population of that area isn't even that big. No, no, it's not. I was looking at this before service started, or before study started, it does have, sorry, there's no no foam on this boom, multiplication uh, multiplication of the loaves and fishes, right up here at Bethsaida, Capernaum is up top, but this is, this is reversed um, from what we're normally seeing it in our, our Bibles, it's flipped the other way, but anyway, that's up there is where that is, but still, it's just not that big of an area, so you have all these people around, and just that many people at one place, the only way I can visualize that, I went to India a few years ago, my wife and I did, mission trip, in a sense, we've supported this orphanage for years, and so we finally got to go visit it, Um, and... In Bangalore City, there's just people everywhere. I mean, just, you know, that city's got, I don't know, 10 or 15 million people. Of course, we've been to China multiple times to adopt our kids, and there are people just coming out of the, you know, the woodwork there. That's the only thing I think of is that many people in one place, you know. There's just, there's just thousands. So you have these, they're strewn across the area here. Then you just have this food being multiplied. What have you ever thought about what that looked like or how that appeared, how that happened? We know he he blessed it. He probably gave it that same blessing that Pastor Stephen Kirk been teaching us as of you know the last few weeks. But what's what do you think that looked like? You ever thought about that? I don't want to say adequately, but he just kept blessing and blessing. Because otherwise, where would you put all that bread? <laughs> That's the way I. I just like it, but just. Yeah, he took the plate. Just like yeah. Whatever. Okay. As he took the plate, it all picked up. Yeah. Billy, Billy says it reminds him of when he went to Woodstock. <laughs> 
Billy, don't you just love sitting with Kurt? It's always an adventure, right? <laughs> oh, goodness, yeah. With, with giving bread, they also, would, would there be a, a metaphor there also to giving life? Yeah, yeah, sure, because Jesus calls himself what? The bread of life, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Do you see a, is there a parallel there too? To God providing manna to his his kids, I mean, in the in the wilderness. I don't know if that's part of it, but I just that just this is eating through my head just now. But definitely, as Tom said, the bread, Jesus is the bread of life. He'll stand up and say that later. Um, John six, when he does the mass feeding, and whether it's this one or the other one, I don't I don't remember. I don't know, but I know that they were so. They loved that so much, they followed him all the way around the lake when he went across in the boat. When did you get here, Rabbi? And he says to them, don't labor after, you're just here because you got your bellies full, right? Don't labor after bread that, that perishes. And he says, I am the bread of life. So, comments or questions? Even if it had just been 5,000, that's still totally over. What do you think of that? 5,000 people, yeah. Yeah. It just, just what, what a, what a scene, what a sight, right? I think about our Wednesday night thing at, at a Centennial Park back in December. They, they, the park officials there counted a thousand people. So, uh, I was, of course, I was on the computer running, you know, the slides, but then when I got to sing and just seeing people, there's a lot of people out there. So, and then you, I did think about this a little bit that night because you have that little hill, you know, on that, what's at the west side of Centennial Park. And just really all those people out there and, of course, they were, you know, shivering. It was chilly that night, but just a, just an awesome scene. Something really only the Lord could, can do, right? So. We're going to stop there at 7.22. Other just comments or questions that y'all have? Yes, sir. This, uh, I have to tell you, this is what you're doing here, listening to what Steve and Kurt do on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, is quite candidly, I've never experienced this in, in my church life before, where we tend to tell stories or study stories in the Bible as snapshots. But taking it and going through it and seeing the connection between the story of John being beheaded, separate story, but it led to the gathering of the people, the find people looking for Jesus mm-hmm. as John was gone. Yeah. And all of a sudden now it culminates with what begins to happen around the, the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. Yeah. And until you pull that story together, they're all just little pictures. Mm-hmm. Watching a news snap without getting the whole story. Yeah. This church does such a good job with it. Yep, they do. They, um, really, and all three of the pastors do. I mean, I'm, I've told, I've told Stephen Kurt this in our executive team meetings over the last couple of years. I mean it. I, that I'd put those guys up against anybody. I mean, I'm just so thankful that we, that we have them. And I, again, I, I'll, I'm going to put Pastor Melissa in with them too. So, um, so blessed to have all three of them here. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father God, uh, we again, again, we just want to say thank you um, for your goodness and your grace in our lives. 
Thank you for the, the, the water outside, the moisture. Thank you for your word, which is, Lord, as, as, as Tom reminded us, uh, just it's a bread, bread of life. And we thank you for it. I ask your uh, blessing upon each, each man here and their families. They go throughout the day, Lord. May we be so mindful that we um, are your light, your hands and feet. May we walk in, in ways that's worthy of the calling we have received by you. We bless your holy name, God. And all of us say together, amen. Y'all have a great day. Thank y'all. You bet.